If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, like, and share so we can find others like yourself. Welcome to the Bitcoin Basics podcast with your hosts, Faris and Gordon from CoinCompass.com, enabling you to safely buy and securely store your Bitcoins. All resources are in the show notes and description, including our disclaimer. Visit BitcoinBasicsPodcast.com to subscribe and discover other free content. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to another BitcoinBasicsPodcast.com with your hosts, Gordon, that's me, and Faris from CoinCompass.com. Before we get started, let's do a proof of recording. So according to the bitcoin.clarkmoody.com dashboard, the current price of Bitcoin is 11,392 US dollars. And the current block height is 645,408. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, have a look at the link in the description of the show notes. Today, we're going to interview Alex from Amber, and we're going to talk about, amongst many things, DCA, dollar cost averaging. So the usual disclaimer, this is not financial advice. Amber is not a sponsor. They're not, we're not officially endorsing it. We haven't been paid any money. We're just interviewing someone who's interesting in this Bitcoin space and someone who has an amazing product that we actually want to use. So for all those Australians, including my family and friends, this episode is definitely for you. So without further ado, let's get started. Today, we have an extremely special guest. Before we even get into introducing Alex and, and his background story, which is obviously fairly interesting, we thought we'd go with the um, business at the front, party at the back, kind of like a mullet. For those uh, non-Australians listening, that's a short haircut at the front, long at the back. Alex, what, when, where, how, why is DCA dollar cost averaging? Oh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> I love the mullet analogy. I, um, for the record, I've never worn a mullet. Um, maybe one day I will. Who knows? <laughs> um, all right, DCA. Well, there's, um, I, wrote, I wrote an article about it, which I might give you guys at the end of this so you can link it in the show notes for people to dig a little bit deeper. Mm. But effectively, the idea is that when, you know, in life, uh, you know, people want to, uh, invest uh, for the future. Um, you know, they, they want to look for uh, assets or things that they can buy um, today, which, you know, may over time become more valuable um, that they may be able to sell for more later. Like this basic, you know, 101 premise of, in, <clears throat> of investing is, you know, buy low, sell high. Now, in the crazy world we live in today, where, um, there's money slushing around everywhere. There's, um, you know, there's uh, intricate markets. There's, you know, high levels of volatility across so many assets. And there's such easy access to so many different um, asset classes, at least for people like, you know, in countries like Australia, America, et cetera. Um, you know, it, it, it starts to become this almost like this uh, game of gambling where you have no idea what's going up, down or around in circles. In fact, nobody does. Um, and, you know, sort of fundamentals has been thrown out the window. Um, people try and sit there and, you know, technical analysis really became big in the 80s. And, you know, people draw all these fancy charts all over the place and think that they can read the tea leaves and know what's going to happen in the future. And that's sort of gone out the window. Then sentimental analysis sort of came up over the last 10 years. And now that's apparently gone out the window because all the hedge funds and the prop trading desks and everything have like built all these crazy algos that can, you know, front run all your trades. And, you know, there's all this stuff happening on, 
Robin Hood where, you know, they're selling your data um, of your trades to the, to the big prop desks just before you place your trade or when you place your trade so they can, you know, front run you. So there's all this craziness going on. And basically what it means is for the average person, in fact, for 99.9999% of people, um, you know, getting uh, the, the buy low, sell high right um, is no better than flipping a coin. In fact, you know, most of the time it's worse because you add um, emotion into the decision. And as soon as you add emotion into the decision of buying something low and selling it high, um, i.e. this idea of you, you putting some skin in the game, putting some investment somewhere um, and wanting a result, you then start to make weird decisions. Um, and what inevitably happens for people is that they end up buying when they're feeling good about something, um, which is usually when the price is high. And then they sell when they're scared or feeling bad about something or when they're losing money, which is usually when the price is low. So what happens is despite all of our best attempts as human beings to buy low and sell high, uh, most people, in fact, over 90% of people, I think it's over 95% of people um, end up buying high <laughs> and selling low and they get shook out of the market. So they end up saying, Oh, this is all too hard, blah, blah, blah. Like I, I can't tell you the amount of people that I know who've, you know, been trading for five, 10, 15, 20, 30 years. And they're basically break even <laughs> um, at best, if not, uh, you know, well in the red. Um, and, you know, I can say hand on heart, I'm one of those idiots, you know, I've been uh, in, involved in markets since 2007. Um, and if I really average it out over time, like the amount of like, because I've done derivatives, this, that, all sorts of crap. And I think if I just put 10 bucks a week aside into like Amazon, <laughs> for example, um, I'd probably be worth a couple million just from that Amazon stock. But no, I thought I was a genius. And I decided to try and, you know, buy low, sell high and all this crap. And in the process, wrecked myself multiple times. So the whole premise of DCA, the way I like to say it, is that it kind of takes the stupid out of people's investing journey. And it says, find something which has a high degree or a high probability of growth over the long term. Um, and, you know, that could be, like I said, you know, 10 years ago when I first started getting into the markets and stuff, um, or well, shit, even, even longer now, sorry, 13 years ago, um, something like Amazon or, you know, or Google or something like that would have been ideal for me back then. Um, um, Bitcoin is probably the most ideal thing uh, today. And, uh, you know, we might just go into that later, why, you know, Bitcoin is that. But, you know, Bitcoin represents something that has asymmetric potential, meaning, uh, you know, if you were to put $1,000 in it today, um, in 10 years time, that $1,000 is going to be either worth nothing or it's going to be worth a million bucks. So your upside is much greater than your downside. So then the question is, how do you get that $1,000 exposure? You know, do you do it in one lump sum where, you know, you know, do you take the risk of putting it in and then tomorrow Bitcoin you know, has a, you know, short term crash of 30% and you freak out and you sell it? Or do you decide to take that $1,000 and split it up uh, over equal purchases perhaps and maybe $1,000 purchases, you know, once a week, once a month perhaps, um, or whatever you're comfortable with to basically average out your purchase price. Now, you know, some sophisticated investors out there might say, oh yeah, but you know, I can, um, I can get a better if I buy the dips, you know, <laughs> and the question is, 
how do you know when the dip's going to come? Are you like, this is, that's, that's the gambling element of, um, you know, that people have become addicted to in the whole, you know, in, it's, I mean, I call it now the trading space. There is no such thing as investing space anymore because people don't think about investing. They don't think about the long term. They're trying to make a quick buck. And DCA is really like a way to come back to investing, to come back to thinking about growing wealth over the long term and to do it incrementally. Like if there's one thing I regret in my life is that I wasn't sensible when I was younger and I didn't build up a kitty just week by week. It, it didn't have to be much. And especially with, um, you know, the madness of the world and the money printing and all that sort of stuff. Like we've seen I mean, back when I was looking at Amazon in 2008, it was $35. <laughs> I want to punch myself in the face when I think about like the um, the price that it is now. And that was all because I thought I was a genius and that I could time the market. And you can't like the, there's a, you're on one side of one side of the equation of that. You either think you can time the market or you decide to spend time in the market. And the latter is what DCA allows you to do in a manner that is sensible versus trying to be a hero and timing the market, which today, in today's day and age, mm. you you categorically cannot do because you, 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 you're competing with people who are running algos that have literally plugged directly into the um into the into the uh, trading desks you know, at the New York Stock Exchange. You, you cannot beat a hedge fund. That's the thing. And if you think you can gamble your way in, good luck to you. You know, when you come back wrecked after a few years. Um, you know, you'll, you'll wish you started DCAing beforehand. And that's really like what the whole premise of this is about. Like the, it, it's a principled approach to long-term investing that says, forget about trying to time everything. Forget about trying to predict, you know, whether it's going to go up, down, or around in circles. Forget about trying to, um, trying to know everything that you cannot know. Just take a small amount and regularly, uh, put it into an asset that you think has uh, long-term upside um, and just treat it like a, almost treat it like a little savings account, like a piggy bank. That's the whole premise of dollar cost averaging. I really like, um, Alex, the, yeah, the example you use of Amazon, because a lot of people don't know that Amazon has had, I think it's three 90% corrections since it was mm-hmm. um, launched. And several, like 30% corrections plus. And like you say, people would have panicked and sold. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's a really good example to compare Bitcoin to, is that um, it is a, a technology, it is a currency, it is a, you know, a store of value, it's something that we are still trying to explain to people. Um, and yeah, hindsight's a beautiful thing when you think how many people would have held on to Amazon when it crashed 90% first time, second time, and third time. And barely, um, like, I, I would say that 5% of people would have, if they were lucky, hung on. I mean, I didn't hang on. Yeah. When I think about it, <laughs> I, I bought Amazon at 50 bucks. And then I got freaked out because, you know, I went from 50 down to 40. And I was like, holy crap, that's 20% drop. So I dumped it. Like, all because I was trying to be a hero um, and, you know, scalp the extra dollar or two. Um, when And when you think about it, you know, that... Fifty dollar to forty dollar drop, you know. Now you look at it, it's like Amazon three and a half thousand dollars a share. It's like you idiot. Like that, that's that's the price of um, that's the price of trying to be a short term 
um, thinker versus a longer term thinker. And that's what it really comes down to, doesn't it? It's in this day and age, we're kind of dissuaded from savings because, you know, you put some money in the bank and there's inflation and that money just basically gets eaten away. We won't go into a whole taxation thing. But that, that's what um, I've been trying to explain to people is that, you know, treat, treat this, this Bitcoin savings or this Bitcoin accumulation or collection or whatever you want to call it. Um, like a savings account, but instead of a savings account on the bank that's losing your money hand over mm-hmm. fist, it's a savings account that's actually appreciating. So you don't have to have that arrogance, that hubris that we've all got. You know, I did mm-hmm. it. I uh, FOMO'd into Bitcoin. Then I discovered the altcoins, mm-hmm. got totally mm-hmm. wrecked, then came back to Bitcoin. Yep. And I'm like, why am I trading? I think it's generous to say 95% of people make money, uh, don't make money. I think it's 99%. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you just take out that volatility. Mm-hmm. So you, sometimes you buy at a slight loss, sometimes you buy at a slight profit. It doesn't matter. In the long run, you're averaging out. And in the long run, you know, orange coin go That's up. It. I mean, you've you got to really decide what you want in life. You know, do you want to sit there like a degenerate looking at your computer and refreshing the chart every five minutes and trying to play the mm-hmm. trade? Or do you want to just set up, you know, like this is why I built Amber as a product. It's like you, you just tell the app, I want to buy 50 bucks a week. Um, here's my bank account. And just leave it like and then you can go ahead and live your goddamn life i'm sure you've got more important things to do than staring at a computer at a bunch of green and uh red candles and trying to draw you know fancy lines all across the screen and thinking nostradamus like it's so so stupid like i i can't believe people don't have better things to do with their lives than um than sit there and try and do that it's like such a waste of time and energy um, and like, and, and I don't say this as, you know, uh, you know, I'm holier than thou because I was that same idiot doing that for so many years. Like I think about all the time I wasted messing around on markets and trying to get an edge, mm. you know, whether it was with derivatives, whether whatever product mm. I've traded everything you can think of. And I just, I, I cannot tell you the amount of hours, time, money, energy I've wasted doing that when I could have done something actually productive um, in my not, life. Not to mention your emotion as well. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure you had the same feeling. You're in a bad trade and, you know, your stop loss is getting hit yep. and it's like, oh, my God, I'm losing money. Yeah. You, honestly, I had so many, like, sleepless nights. Mm-hmm. I was checking my phone and there was alerts. It's insane. Yeah. We're not going to meant to live life like this. Yeah, you're like a junkie, basically. You're like a junkie. And, and that's why I think, like, DCA is the cure to uh, – trading junkies maybe, maybe i'm going to make a meme about this but it's like <laughs> it's 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 what it is right it's um you know you can be a you can be a junkie that wants to you know get your dopamine hit and then sit there and spend most of your time developing cortisol you know um excess cortisol <laughs> because you're so stressed out um or you can get on with your life sleep well at night and know that you're collecting and, and this is i guess where the bitcoin argument comes in is like there, there is nothing that uh can there is no thing on the planet today that has as much potential upside as Bitcoin um, because the market for money is a winner-take-all market and it is the largest market on the planet. There, there's nothing larger than the market for money. And the thing is, Bitcoin is the best um, version of money we have. And should it succeed over the next two, three, four, five, six, seven decades, however long it's going to take, just like gold took millennia to succeed and become you know the emergent form of money that people through a process of self-selection 
um, decided to use some money. Bitcoin so too will do that because you know you can't stop economic Darwinism. At the end of the day, people, everyone needs to store their labor in something that doesn't dissolve, that doesn't um, uh, you know disappear tomorrow. And you know just like salt was replaced um, as money, so too will fiat because they both dissolve. Um, their value dissolves and and bitcoin represents you know the, the next genesis in that and you know it doesn't matter where on the spectrum you are if you're a you know crazy person like me who tries to hold minimum fiat and just puts every pours everything into bitcoin or um you're you know a beginner wanting to sort of get in and just want to have a little bit of exposure you know say you know one two three four you know five percent of your net worth you know have it in this in this thing that you may not fully understand, but you you at least grasp the concept of, like as a you know digital gold or whatever someone wants to frame it as, the best method to get some exposure is to just DCA in um, small amounts incrementally that you're not going to notice. You are, you are categorically not going to realize fifty dollars a week um, or twenty bucks a week, whatever you're comfortable with, um, in a couple of years time. Like, you know, that's that's two and a half grand a month if you're doing, sorry, two and a half grand a year if you're doing 50 bucks a week. And after four years, that's 10 grand. Um, and I mean, that if if you've, um, you know, if you've done that right uh, over the next 10, 20 years, that 10 grand could be worth a couple million dollars equivalent. Um, you show me one other thing that has that kind of upside potential or at the very worst, that 50 bucks a week, oops, you know, you lost it. Oh, well, you know, you didn't even notice it. That's a good point. And just to translate what you just said about asymmetric risk, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, a thousand dollars today or or over time, let's sorry, let's say a hundred dollars today could potentially be, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in the future. But if Bitcoin goes to zero, which is unlikely, but could happen, what you've lost a hundred dollars. So you see the, the, the reward versus the risk. And there's just no excuse. I'm, I'm sorry, but I, I kind of get a little bit aggressive about this. And, um, you know, maybe five years ago when you had all these problems with exchanges and I got bitten by the Mt. Gox thing and all that kind of stuff, it was difficult to get into Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. It was. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, I have to verify myself, take a, for, take a selfie with my ID or whatever. But nowadays, and, and I'll get you to shill um, Amber and go through that process, there really is no excuse not to buy Bitcoin. There just yeah. isn't. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's so much easier now. That, that you're a hundred percent right. Like, and it's funny that you say that because that's exactly what I tell. Um, I, I wrote a article recently, and it was entitled "Do Not Buy Bitcoin," um, and I dedicated it to the skeptics and to the naysayers and to the shitcoiners basically out there. Um, and the, the whole premise behind it was, "Hey, I'm sick and tired of trying to convince you to buy this. Um, this isn't 2012 anymore. This isn't 2013, where you've got some." you know, uh, emergent thing of the internet, you know, that's, you know, worth a hundred bucks that's going up and down 50 bucks every day. Like this is now a real thing. This is now something that, um, you know, businesses like MicroStrategy, you know, are putting their entire cash reserves in. This is something that Paul Tudor Dones is buying. Like this is, this is not a, you know, a game anymore. And if you don't want to buy it or if you're skeptical, no worries. Come and buy it later when it's a million bucks. Um, you know, a coin. You know, I'm 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 more than happy for you yeah. to come in later because th- this is like I'm 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 tired of having to, you know, convince everyone for their own good. Um, and you know, these days what I do is I do less convincing and more like 
um, whenever I see, you know, one of these hedge fund people say, oh, you know, Bitcoin's a bit expensive. I'm looking at XRP or something. I jump in there and I say, yeah, XRP is the best. It's the standard. You should totally buy this. Um, Bitcoin is for losers. And I just support them on their journey to getting wrecked because like, I'm just, I don't Touch care the stove. That's it. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. Cause if you, if, if I, you, you need to learn that. Um, and such, such a good way to phrase it, man. Alex, I'm just wondering, like customers coming to Amber or um, what are still some of the common misconceptions about Bitcoin you're coming across? The ones that you're willing to address? Yeah, okay. Um, I mean, people that are coming to Amber have kind of generally been referred by their friend who's, you know, like a Bitcoin maniac already. So, so there's not too much of a misconception. I think some of the ones that I get are like, you know, oh, um, uh, it's, you know, it's pretty expensive. Like, you know, it's like $18,000 a coin. How am I going to buy that? So there's still usually, you know, the unit bias. And that's why we've like, we, we, uh, sats is like a standard representation inside Amber. So you can swap between sats and, um, and full Bitcoin denomination if you want to. Um, so we, we try and help people understand that a little bit so we can solve the unit bias problem. Um, I mean, there's every other misconception as well. You know, it's like, oh, I thought Bitcoin was dead. You know, so we, we haven't seen a huge influx of customers, to be honest. Um, in fact, like our total uh, volume keeps increasing, but the volume is actually increasing as a result of people who are already using Amber, buying more Bitcoin, as opposed to a big influx of users. So, for example, um, just, just to give you just some uh, anecdotal stats is that um, our volume has doubled over the last few months but our user count has only increased by, I think, uh, 15%. So what that tells you is that people who are already using it are like buying more. Um, there hasn't been a huge retail influx. So I just don't think it's even on many people's radar yeah. at the moment. Well, you mentioned Robinhood earlier, and that's actually mm-hmm. been one of my concerns this entire year is Bitcoin's actually been tracking heavily the S&P 500. So I think because people are stuck indoors, they're getting government handouts, I think they're just trading Bitcoin um, as a risk-on spec asset. Um, and that's why I think, the, I, I think the price has been correlated to that and not necessarily to the fundamentals of Bitcoin. Yeah, to a large degree. I mean, but that's, again, another of these, um, this, you know, we live in a fiat society where everyone's sort of short-term trying to gamble their way into, you know, riches and, you know, not instead of doing anything productive with their lives. So, like, I, I think apps like, you know, Robin Hood are a plague to society because, you know, they don't, they don't teach anyone anything, you know, like fundamental. They, you know, they, they exist to help people, um, you know, gamble just from, from your phone. And it's, it's, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's no different yep. to betting on a horse, really, because none of these people are actually doing any research on anything. They're just buying it because the next person bought it. Um, and yeah, like it, it, it takes a rare character to, um, to really understand Bitcoin today. And, and now this is going to change over the next few years. Like this is one of the things, this is why I kind of wrote that article where I like kind of threw my hands up and said, look, I'm not going to try and help you or convince you anymore. Like, you know, you, you're either, I used to, I said this on a um, uh, TFTC uh, Tales from the Crypt podcast, like a year and a half ago, two years ago, which was uh, you come to Bitcoin either from uh, from curiosity uh, or via pain. Uh, so like because you want to <laughs> or, bec- or because you have to. And that's the thing. Like, you know, you're either like people, we are all here now 
not because we genuinely like have to have to like you know we we could get away with living in the normal system and all of that and yeah we cop inflation and tax loss but we can probably get by because you know there's other people getting by right but we're curious enough and we're we're driven enough to 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 ask the question of is there a better way um and to also inquire into the nature of this thing called money this 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 technology of collaboration that humanity has invented um or that 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 has necessitated uh or sorry that um what's the word i'm looking for that's um that had to be invented in order for humans to collaborate like you know we just seem to call it money um but it would have you know we may have had a different name beforehand but mm. there there is no other mechanism for collaboration amongst humans because what what we collaborate through is uh our our time and energy like our two finite resources and you know we all perform we all use time and energy um in our own capacity and that's our inputs into society so we need a mechanism through which to measure and exchange that stuff and that's that's effectively uh you know metaphysically what money is um and you know some of us are just curious enough to go in and inquire into that um and then then start to inquire into you know what what's this bitcoin thing and why is it a better form of money why is it a better way to represent that time and energy that we all have um an input into society with and you know for for some of us you know the the light bulb clicks and we're like holy crap you know here i am i am like the dude from the ancient times when everyone else was still trading in shells and i found a gold nugget on the um on the floor and i went to buy a chicken with this gold nugget and the guy selling the chicken looks at me and is like what the hell am i going to do with this yellow rock i can't wear it i can't eat it and you're like well look it's got these properties and one day everyone's going to use it as money you get laughed at you know and if you could somehow have been that ancient person to hold that yellow shiny rock for a couple thousand years you would have been extremely wealthy and what we're seeing is we're seeing that happen with bitcoin today but instead of over a couple thousand years we're going to see it in decades um and you're effectively picking something up before the rest of the world catches up and that's a powerful place to be in it's an incredibly powerful place to be in and yeah i mean it takes a certain kind of personality to be into it now it took a certain kind of personality to be in it during the last phase the last epoch um and you know it's going to be a different kind of personality that's going to come into it later so like a lot of people here's the thing most people will come into bitcoin when it's worth somewhere between a million to 10 million per coin um mm. fundamentally and that's because that's so, when they will trust it so alex with setting up amber how mm-hmm. difficult was it to get that set up thinking from a regulatory standpoint uh it was look australia i must give credit where credit's due australia wasn't too bad for that um we i mean i had some connections in um with some banks over there so i was managed to get us an account relatively quickly and that sort of got us up and running um without that it would have been much more difficult that's the problem that i'm having now expanding amber outside of europe oh, sorry outside of australia is that um getting banking is actually the 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 bottleneck um because mm-hmm. it's almost impossible to get a bank like there was a i got a um I got a bank the other day sent me an email they're like oh yeah we'd love to help you um we have a due diligence process and you have to pay for that um and that due diligence process is quite in depth um it's probably going to take between uh 2 to 6 weeks and we charge you 
you for our due process, um, 5,000 euro. And then we charge you a uh, thousand euro per month for the privilege of having a bank account. Oh, and by the way, um, because our bank is based in Germany, we have negative interest rates. So we're going to also charge you 0.5% of money you keep. And I'm sitting there looking at this. I'm like, what? <laughs> so it's like, it's insane, right? So like, um, so anyway, so coming back to Australia, um, Australia wasn't that bad because like, uh, you know, we just, we registered with Austrac, um, you know, obviously, and, you know, we need to do all the, you know, the KRC, AML, rigmarole, um, but, you know, fundamentally, we, we managed to like, because uh, I was in a bit of fintech before, get a, get a partnership with a payment provider so we could do direct debit. So we did direct debit, we got the bank, we did all that stuff and, you know, we've been building features and everything ever since. So the app is like really slick, smooth, functional. It does everything it needs to do now. Um, and it's, I would argue that it's the best way to buy Bitcoin in Australia. Now. It's like it's, it's in your pocket, it's in your hand. You can click, you're done. Like it's so simple, so quick. You can send money to it now as well via EFT. So you can load up your account with dollars so it's ready there. You can set like we're introducing, um, we're going to do intraday DCA as well at, uh, in the next couple of weeks where you can buy hourly if you want. So you can like load up a grand into your account and say, look, I just want to buy 10 bucks every hour. <laughs> so you can like really smooth out your DCA. So, so it's got all these cool features and we managed to get that uh, locked and loaded relatively quickly. Um, I think the most difficult part for us, and which is sort of the case with most tech startups is um, the, you know, just building good software um, that scales. Mm -hmm. And we, we had a bunch of difficulty with that in the beginning. So I would say Australia was more, less a regulatory issue for me, more uh, um, just getting the right product out. And now that we've got that, now expanding it outside of uh, Australia is more a banking regulatory issue because, um, you know, they want to, like I just explained, <laughs> you know, your grandchildren's uh, future just for the privilege of having a bank account. It's disgusting. Um, so, yeah. With that, so we're talking about negative interest rates and all this, I know, like a lot of people in the know know what's going on as far as um, reserve bank asset purchases, all this kind of stuff. But I think the majority of population still really don't know. They still probably think it's a COVID thing. Are you finding though that people are coming to Amber, people want to learn about Bitcoin, not because of Bitcoin itself, but because of what's going on in financial markets and um, uh, fiat currencies themselves. So it's kind of, they're looking at Bitcoin as an alternative to government fiat currency. Are you finding that that shift happening or not yet? A, a little bit, but it's more actually from the people. So I've got a, um, I've got a, a couple, actually what I would you know consider baby boomers, right? So like the, the couple older gentlemen that, um, that have both invested in Amber, but also have been, uh, were traditionally, you know, wanting to buy some Bitcoin, but, um, you know, like really only dip their toe in. So, so, so they're relatively wealthy. Like, so, you know, for them, uh, five grand was like 50 cents. Um, and, you know, they were like sort of hesitant about putting the first, you know, a couple thousand dollars into Bitcoin and this and that. They were more comfortable investing in a company because that's sort of, you know, the frame of reference that they understood. But um, as things have started to deteriorate around the world, as, you know, things have become more stupid, you know, their purchases have like really, really increased in terms of volume because now they're like, you know, I've got this uh, property and, you know, the, you know, the, 
it's, it doesn't make sense to hold anymore. And then I've got money in the bank that's sitting there. And now like I'm getting absolutely nothing for it. And I'm seeing the value of the Australian dollar fall, blah, blah, blah. So like they're, they're really starting to think now. These guys, I would sort of put them in the bucket of a little bit more sophisticated. So I don't know if the if that has trended to the more mass um the more mass market or the you know the general retail uh uh psyche as yet um but it's it's definitely 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 starting to trickle in like it, the, the, these these two gentlemen that i'm mentioning is like they they it, they've got a tech background they they were coming to my meetups for a couple of years and it wasn't until things started to get really messy in the world that they then kind of spooked and were like okay uh we need to do something about this. Like they got and understood Bitcoin before, but they didn't do anything with it uh, because of that reason. So um, so it's interesting to start to see that shift uh, in the world. But I mean, one, one can only assume that's going to continue to accelerate. It's like one of those mind viruses um, that, you know, once it started, like try to try put the genie back in the bottle. It's not going to happen. Oh, absolutely. This is just going to open the floodgates. You can't uninvent something. So even if governments try to ban it, uh, I just see that as more bullish for Bitcoin. Oh, it is. It is. It is. Um, by the way, anyone listening to this, we're three Aussies, but none of us is actually living in Australia, <laughs> which is kind of ironic. Alex, so I'm going to share this with pretty much all my family and friends and everyone I can yeah. think of. How do they get started with Amber? And so feel free to feel free to go through that. And uh, what privacy and security concerns, if any, are there? For example, uh, what, what kind of uh, backdoor channels do you have with the ATO? Okay. okay. Um, so Amber, let's let's start with how they set up. Like first of all, you at the moment we're only available in Australia. So you need two things. You need to be um, you need to have an Australian bank account and an Australian phone number. As long as you've got those two, you're sweet to set up. Like you don't have to be an Australian citizen. Um, that, that helps, it makes just the KYC piece a little bit smoother. Um, so you, you download the app, um, you, you put in your um, BSB and account number there. So kind of like a standard, what you would do with like a normal direct debit if you're going to the gym, for example. Um, so that's nice and easy. We used to have uh, roundups where we would track your um, expenses. So you'd go buy a coffee, for example, for $3.50. We would see that on your bank statement. We'd round up the transaction by 50 cents. We'd, you know, aggregate those. And then we would, um, you know, buy Bitcoin on a $5 increments for you. What we, we, we ditched that because, um, you know, privacy is really important to me. And like, we needed lots of, uh, we needed to know your entire transaction history and we needed your bank credentials to actually go in and do that. So we kind of ditched that as a feature. I just didn't, didn't, didn't sit right with me. I just thought if people really want to buy small amounts, they can just do $5 a day direct debit. Who cares? You know, so that's, it gives you the same result with much less um, uh, intrusion from us as a business. So you, you do that. So you, you download it. You pop your BSB and account number in. Um, you, you, you know, sign. The, there's like a little form in there for your direct debit. Um, you can then, uh, like you've got the ability to, I think, to buy your first, um, I think it's 100, 200 bucks without having to KYC immediately, but you can't withdraw your Bitcoin until you have KYC. So then you just need to upload your driver's license and Medicare, for example, or your passport, whatever you've got handy. Um, and that's really quick to do because we, we do um, a check with what's called the document verification system, the DVS in Australia. So you don't really need to upload the docs. You just need to make sure that the details are correct in there. Um, so you do that, um, we ping that, we check it, and then that sort of unlocks your account. And then 
The third step of verification, which we do just to prevent fraud more than anything, is um, we send you a, um, a bank account verification amount. So you get this uh, special code that's like lands in your bank account, which is you, you get one cent basically. So that's our token to you, <laughs> one cent with a special right. code. Um, you put that in and that verifies that you own that bank account. And then, um, and then you're, yeah, you're good to go. You can load up your account or you can use the direct debit. Soon we'll have Apple and Google Pay, so you can whack a credit card as well in there if that's easier for you to purchase, like a you know, credit card or debit card, whatever's easier for you. Um, and that's it. You, you just, you like buying is so simple. Like there's a one-off for recurring. So you click the buy button, you click one-off for recurring. Um, you know, we've got this cool EFT feature as well is like you can actually instead of just sending dollars to your Amber account, so let's say you've got 500 bucks there and you want to send it across to your Amber account, you can actually have it sent as dollars from your bank account. And when it lands in Amber, it automatically converts to Bitcoin, which is a kind of cool feature. So for those people who want to avoid the, because you know we have a direct debit fee and it's not us charging it, it's just we just pass on the charge at cost, which is 25 cents every time there's a direct debit. Um, if you want to avoid the direct debit, you can just set up a recurring transfer from your bank account of like, you know, five bucks a day or $50 a week or whatever frequency you want. Um, and then every time it lands, it auto converts into Bitcoin, which is a really cool feature. Um, so, so that's sort of how it works. Then in terms of uh, backdoors and stuff like, I mean, we, we don't have a relationship with the ATO. Um, we, you know, we've, we've never been asked for anything. We've never done anything. You know, we just have a transaction record um, of all customer purchases because you know customers need that like it's you've got a transaction history inside the app um, and yeah I mean if the customer wants to request that they can because they'll you know potentially need to do their own taxes um, but other than that like yeah we don't we don't like I've been asked multiple times you know, by assholes like chain analysis and all this other stuff to implement um, what's called coin provenance technology, which is like to track where your coins are going and where they're from and all that sort of stuff. And I have uh, told them to jump off the bridge um, and make sure they land on the concrete every time because I have no interest in, um, in implementing that kind of surveillance uh, technology into our application. So, yeah, man, it's about as it, it's it's Excellent. about as private as you can get uh, in Australia. Most of the exchanges in Australia, believe it or not, use chain analysis or some sort of coin provenance technology. I think we're the only ones who don't. Yeah, I mean, I was I was trying to check about the ATO, but I, I actually just bought some Bitcoin from my dad. I won't say where, but it was on mm -hmm. a prominent Australia exchange, and you're basically you know giving a blood sample and pretty much uh, everything to um, verify yourself, and you know for a fact they're doing all kinds of stuff behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. But that's good to hear. Lastly, where like, are you encouraging people to take Bitcoin, like withdraw Bitcoin from your wallets, like hot wallets, cold wallets, whatever, to their own storage? Do you provide people with um, their own Bitcoin wallets? How does that work? Yeah, what's, what's the custodianship like? We, we, don't, we don't provide their own wallets because that's sort of outside of our wheelhouse and something we'll never probably do um, because I think there's so many other better people who focus on just building good wallet tech. So we just make the ability to withdraw super easy. So um, we hold everything in multi-sig cold storage. So we, you know, you, you've got in your app, you've got a, uh, a function to just, you know, request the withdrawal. Um, and we just batch, we just do daily batch withdrawals. Um, so, you know, they, people's withdrawal requests come through. We then uh, put them through our little uh, multi-sig um, 
storage and we just withdraw based on what you want. And I, I encourage people to do that when they're comfortable enough self-custody. So we kind of call the way we hold the Bitcoin at the moment, we kind of call it cold storage or multi-signature as a service, which is we, we're sort of pretty damn confident, like how we've set it up with Unchained Capital, with multiple signatures, um, with different people around the world. Um, so it's like, it, it's basically impossible. Like unless you can crack the Bitcoin blockchain itself, you're not going to get access to that because you can't get myself and um, one of the other parties who's required in the same room because we're on different sides of the planet to, to co-sign something together. So it's, it's pretty damn um, safe. And we've got some redundancy in there. If one of us disappears, you know, then Unchained is the, is the other signatory. So um, it's pretty damn safe and it allows people who aren't yet versed enough in how to store their own keys because that's effectively what you need to be versed in when you want to hold when you want to take custody of your own bitcoin um to leave it on there and be basically you know you can rest assured that it's you know as safe as can be with a custodian effectively now when as you start to learn a little bit more about this and you've got your own wallet and you know what you're doing um by all means like we've made it as easy as possible to withdraw. And we're also releasing a feature soon, which will be auto withdrawal, where you can just set um, your thing to like clear out your wallet. Every So you whitelist an address and every month it'll send all the Bitcoin inside Amber into your own private address. You won't even have to do it. Like it'll just do it automatically for you. Yeah. I was actually just going to ask you that if you could say like, uh, you know, when, when my wallet gets above $200, just sweep mm -hmm. it out into mm -hmm. my hardware wallet or something like that. Yeah. Oh, that's excellent. Fantastic. Now, what I might do with the magic of editing, because we actually got a question a couple of days ago, and I might uh, just splice that in right now. Hi, guys. Wanted to know why Bitcoin is the number one supreme cryptocurrency out there. There's so many others like Ethereum, which seems to be gaining momentum. But why is Bitcoin the one that seems to have uh, conquered all? There's so many others. So what's the difference between Bitcoin and all the others? And why is Bitcoin be so, being so successful? Thanks, guys. It's a common question. Faris and I have done this 30 days of Bitcoin when we answer questions. <laughs> most of the questions are pretty similar. But this is probably the most common question. And this is a question I get almost every day. Why Bitcoin? Why not Ethereum? Why not XRP? Why not insert random name of coin here that's gone up? 3,000%. Why Bitcoin, Alex? Okay, big question. Yeah, um, I know. This is, uh, as we kind of discussed earlier, um, the money is the mechanism via which human beings uh, can collaborate uh, at scale. And it's the only mechanism, like that, that is the mechanism through which we can store and exchange our labor, our time and energy. And that is... The, the thing that's most broken uh, in the world today. Um, and that's what's, you know, bringing about a lot of derangement. When you give an institution, whether a bank or a government, the monopoly on the creation of that, what you start to do is you start to tear apart the fabric of society because one small group can um, create this, can create time and energy effectively, which is what money represents, out of thin air, um, whilst the rest of us have to trade our uh, time and energy for this unit called money. So, so that starts to really destroy society. It starts to decay society. And um, it's, it's kind of like the best analogy I use is you're playing a game of Monopoly um, and one dude is just, you know, just keeps pulling money out of the, um, out of the till, you know? <laughs> it's like it's unfair for everyone else, but that's not how the game is played. 
Um, and that's effectively what we've got in the world today. So it's, it's a big deal. And this whole revolution of Bitcoin is, uh, is you know, Bitcoin's fundamental invention was two things, uh, a unit with digital scarcity and a network that achieves uh, consensus autonomously, um, you know, without a, without a party running it, without a governing authority, um, where, you know, each participant makes up um, a node on the network. So, so those two things combined give us a monetary unit and a monetary network that have some particular attributes. Um, it's un, uh, the unit is unconfiscatable, um, it's uninflatable, the network is uncensorable, um, and like nobody can, can mess with it. Nobody can get an unfair advantage uh, on this network. And as a result, like there's you know multiple other things like the the founder disappearing, uh, the timing of the launch in 2008, the fact that it was first off um, the the press, and like that there was in a, like for the first five years, everyone was laughing at Bitcoin, and that is what allowed it to actually emerge organically without some sort of you know uh, organization behind it pushing it that could get an advantage for itself. Like it's 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 the ultimate organic emergent. Um, creation on the internet um and what that's uh, res uh, resulted in is this multiple other network effects of like the brand the liquidity the infrastructure the mining um power like all this other stuff which now become these um these uh self-reinforcing network effects that makes this thing stronger and what ends up happening is because money is fundamentally a shared language um amongst everyone and money's utility continues to increase when everyone shares the same language. Like it's why we have one Australian dollar inside Australia, right? So within that jurisdiction, we all use that because if we all had a different money, we couldn't actually trade our labor uh, uh, efficiently. So, so no matter what you do within a particular jurisdiction, money will always converge to unity. And the thing is the internet makes uh, for one big unit like it's one big jurisdiction where the where the a single most functional fairest um and yeah like the money with the best attributes is going to suck up all the liquidity so, so you've got all these factors that mean so so you've got this like i said initially money's the the, the thing that's broken um it's also the biggest market um and it's what bitcoin was designed to be and it's it's the it's this thing that is um it's digitally scarce and it it reaches autonomous consensus, which are the two things that nothing else on the planet has. So, you, and by definition, digital scarcity is a one-time event. It occurred with Bitcoin. You cannot have digital scarcity again. Um, so you know, like you can go and copy Bitcoin. One of its most important attributes is that you can copy it, and you know we can create you know Bitcoin Alex's version. Um, and you know, the, what's the economic mass that's going to follow that? Maybe a few idiots, um, but other than that, nobody else, right? So it's um, you know, Bitcoin's economic mass is all behind it. So all these other things, they're short-term noise uh, on the path to the um, the evolution or the emergence of a fair global um, uh, money that can't be confiscated, that can't be manipulated that can't be messed with. And that's why sort of Bitcoin is the um, the real game in town, whereas everything else is just a, 
just oh, something out there that Karen, come on Alex it. we've got a world computer and DeFi and digital kitties <laughs> smart contracts XRP <laughs> spreadsheet is like five second block time surely they're better yeah. than Bitcoin this is this is I mean this is what I mean it's like I kind of said um I wrote this piece called the Bitcoin Times which kind of said that like these Rube Goldberg machines like in the in the case of Ethereum like Bitcoin's Bitcoin's recipe, the the uniqueness of Bitcoin with mining, with cryptography, with all these things that it is, uh, gives you digital scarcity and gives you censorship resistance. It gives you these attributes which are only really useful for something that is as important as uh, a money that is uh, unfuckwithable. You know, like if I'm going to use that word, pardon my um my French, but it's um that's the application. There is no application other than something as important as money that you would be able to justify building such an infrastructure for. So as a result, you know, that's game set match there. And then with XRP, I mean, you know, anything that anyone that talks about payments um, is a complete lunatic because here's two reasons. One is fintech's going to blow all of these other stupid things away. Like, you know, we can already do international payments. Like I don't know if anyone's ever heard transfer wise, you know, it's, it's quick, it's fast and it works, you know, and it's only going to get better. So payments is not an issue. Number one. Number two is that with a foundation like um, Bitcoin, which is like open and provides basically a uh, an internet-based central bank that is permissionless, anybody can build payment infrastructure on top of that without having to ask anyone anything. Like, so what I've described before where I, as a company, want to get a freaking bank account in Europe. I need to sell my children's kidneys just to, you know, get a bank account. Bitcoin doesn't care. I can go, like, I can create a payment application on top of Bitcoin just by plugging into it. And that's where the future is going to be. And you've got then a situation where we can build millions of nodes to route payments as layers on top of Bitcoin, where you'll end up with billions or potentially one day trillions of transactions per second as a throughput versus the shitty 100,000 or 200,000 transactions per second that Visa or MasterCard can handle today's centralized system. So Bitcoin blows out all of these things, but it starts with the first principles, which is what do we need to fix the money? How do we fix it? We have a unit that is, you know, that is unconfiscatable, uncensorable, uninflatable, we, we achieve that through digital scarcity in a network that achieves autonomous consensus. It's a one-time event. Um, it's an emergent organic uh, 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 evolution, something that happens not by someone's enforcement, but that happens uh, organically uh, via the market. And all of those things happen with Bitcoin and it's done and dusted. The game's already won. Um, everything else is just noise along the way. Just finishing off that analogy, and we like to, we like to beat the, the dead horse. Um, <laughs> until there's nothing left on the side of the road. But going back sure. to your monopoly analogy, you know, we, we all know, you know, governments are printing money hand over fist. So it's like playing a monopoly game where the banker can just print more money. With crypto, people say, oh, with blockchains and crypto, you can't do that. And it's like, no, you can't do that with Bitcoin, but you can with pretty much every other altcoin because there's still a foundation, there's a company, there's some sort of developer that can still change the game. And you don't have to look too far to look at, the DAO and Ethereum, not to pick on them because I think pretty much most coins are the same. You can still do that. They can still, you know, change the amount of coins or change the inflation supply or, or do whatever with, with those other coins. But Bitcoin, you can't. 
Mate, you're touching a beautiful point there. Is like I put up a tweet a couple of weeks ago, which said, um, crypto is actually more like fiat and less like Bitcoin. So Bitcoin stands against government fiat, but it also stands against crypto fiat. So all the crypto, all the Ethereums and all this sort of crap, all they do is they're saying that, hey, the government are a bunch of assholes because they think they can print the money on their rules. Their rules suck. So we're going to create our own rules and we're going to create our own money um, and come and join our network. It's like jumping from the fry pan into the fire. <laughs> so <laughs> instead of, you know, having your wealth um, expropriated or managed by a group of central bankers and um, political retards, you've got your money managed by a bunch of dweebs, nerds, and, um, and you know, 14 year old virgins who um you know who who don't know anything about economics but you know can write some sloppy code um and hope for the best it's like no, nothing nothing's changed like crypto is just a more fragile version of the existing system in fact i would almost like there's there's pros and cons i would i would actually trust the existing financial system at least from an inflationary perspective because it'll probably go through less inflation than the than the monkeys who are running their crypto networks mm. although the crypto networks there's a little bit more permissionlessness there so you know you could potentially build more applications than you can in the legacy financial system but it doesn't matter they're both fiat that like they're both by definition fiat they're both uh run by someone and this is what no one seems to get is that bitcoin transcends all of that um and yeah, like I, I see no, like I see very, 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 very few similarities between um, Bitcoin and crypto. And I think Bitcoin stands against everything that crypto stands for. And um, it, you know, crypto is going to be like a, you know, like a water balloon getting thrown at a brick wall. Like it's going to, it's going to pop, man. It ain't going to last. So with that, Alex, and I know this is, there's fascinating stuff happening in um, the world of Bitcoin with um, sidechains and lightning and everything, but people that are buying Bitcoin, do you think they honestly care about Bitcoin as everyday transaction purposes, or they're just really looking at it as a long-term store of value? Well, I mean, some people, I guess, do. Um, but like I said, like, you know, this is economic Darwin, survival comes first. I don't care what anybody tells you uh, in life. You know, people worry about uh, having a house over their heads, like a roof over their heads first and food mm. on the table. Like survival comes first. And, you know, being able to have an alternative payment system, you know, is nice, but being able to protect your wealth is a must. <laughs> so there's no, there's no argument between the two. So, you know, if you want to... Uh, you know, let's say you, you want to transact and you're living in a place where you're, you know, under an iron curtain and you're not allowed to tr transact, then in that case, having an alternative payment system is extraordinarily important, right? So, so then that's a must. So in, but, but the beauty of Bitcoin is that it does both. So it doesn't matter. Like, so, so for those of us in like Australia and all that sort of stuff where we have Visa, we have FPOS, we have all this stuff, um, we're fine. You know, we, we, we don't really necessarily need Bitcoin for, you know, as an alternative payment system. Um, but, you know, as the world, you know, becomes more deranged, hey, that the importance of that element of Bitcoin is going to increase. Um, but right now, like realistically, uh, you know, people are coming to Bitcoin because it's an asset um, or, or, or it's, it's, it transcends even the concept of an asset. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a money that, um, that has better attributes um, and gives you a better guarantee of um, storing your wealth for the long term. I know, no, it's a meme, but it really is a hedge against inflation. It's like, you know, don't put 100% of your savings and, and whatever investments into it. Do, do some TCA, just do 1%. Just don't have zero. That's basically my 
argument at the end of the day. Just have something. Yeah, well, if you got zero, you're just you're uh, at this point. You're um you're either ignorant and like look, some people are blissfully ignorant and that's fine, you know, whatever. Um, but some people are willfully ignorant, and that's where you know you you basically you get what you deserve in the next five ten years when you know someone is like again I I said in my little article I was like I'll smile when I'm paying you um, you know a couple thousand satoshis for a month of your time. Um, because you laughed at me, um, when I was buying, you know, millions of Satoshis for, you know, a couple hundred dollars. So it's, um, you know, what, what, what goes around comes around. So, yeah, thanks for, thanks for, um, thanks for agreeing to come on and, and have a chat. And, uh, it's good to actually finally talk to someone from Australia because, you know, we love our uh, brothers and sisters in America, but it's so US centric. It's like people talk about the cash up or people talk about Swan Bitcoin or they talk about this exchange. They're like, yeah, that's great, but I can't use it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. For all my family and friends, person. you have no excuse whatsoever. Indeed, indeed. They're like, they're <laughs> so true. Like, now, like, it's um, like at this point in time, like you said, it's, it's, you, you the excuse doesn't exist. So it's either now like uh, willful ignorance, like the innocent ignorance is the, the phase of innocent ignorance is almost gone. <laughs> so, you know, in the next couple of years, no one will be able to say, Oh, but I never heard of Bitcoin or I never had a chance. Like, you know, that's, um, that ain't going to exist anymore. Exactly. And everyone has 10 bucks they can chuck in per week or per month. What's the minimum you can, Throw in. Uh, the minimum is the minimum is five bucks, man. So you know, if oh, you want to do five bucks a, a month, you know, it doesn't like whatever. You know, five bucks a year if you want to. It doesn't really matter. Like, <laughs> do what you want. Excellent. Well, we'll link to all your uh, medium articles and Twitter and whatnot. Have a look in the show notes, people. Yeah, Alex, thanks again uh, for coming on and and uh, sharing your your Bitcoin knowledge. Brilliant. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you very much, I really Alex. Appreciate the chat. Thank you. Thank Cheers, you. Cheers, mate. Thanks for watching or listening. Please visit coincompass.com slash free to register to our socials and discover other free content. Subscribing, liking, and following helps this content remain ad-free. Until next time.